Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Yu, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today from an early January morning, but it was well worth getting up and getting on the computer as soon as I could, because I'm very much looking forward to a conversation with Anal Visa, who's lecturer in the Medical Education Unit at University College Cork in Ireland. And Anal has a paper entitled Doctor's Attitudes to Maintenance of Professional Competence, a scoping review that will be published in the April 2022 issue of the journal. Another factoid or, or uh, a little bit of background for Anel is she's also one of the editorial interns for medical education uh, about halfway through our year together now as she and two others learn about publishing and get a bit more of a deep behind the scenes process. And now I think this is the first time I've done one of these podcasts with somebody who is actively in the internship. So I'm glad that it gives you an opportunity to see a little bit more of what goes on behind the scenes. Yes, and thank you for having me on and for giving me this opportunity to talk about this paper. And yes, it's it's been a fantastic experience being an intern for medical education. I've learned so much through the process and I've really enjoyed meeting you and all the deputy editors and seeing all the great work that you do in medical education. And thank you for being so welcoming. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. And by the time this is released, the deadline for the next cohort will unfortunately have passed. But I hope that little bit of praise for the internship stays in mind as people think about next year and consider whether or not it would be a good opportunity for them. This paper, though, is globally relevant and important. So maintenance of competence is something that we've seen articles indicating people struggle with everywhere. How do we assure that health professionals continue to be skilled and able and keep up to date over the course of their careers. With so much having been written on that issue, uh, what led you and your team to believe that a review of this type was required at this point in time? If I could just start by explaining a bit what maintenance of professional competence is for those who are not familiar with the process. So it refers to formal programs that are in place that require doctors to typically on an annual basis demonstrate that they are keeping up to date and fit to practice. Now, various places use different names for these programs. For example, in the United States, it's called maintenance of certification, I think in Canada as well. And in the UK, it's called revalidation. But they all refer to the same program, which aims to ensure the quality of patient care and ensure that doctors remain competent throughout their careers. This review is actually part of a larger project that we've undertaken to look at how can we enhance doctors' engagement with maintenance of professional competence. And it's actually the last publication to come out of that project Two other studies that we did was one, we did a mixed method survey and also a qualitative study. And both of those studies were underpinned by the theory of planned behavior. And what we found was how influential doctors' attitudes are in terms of how they choose to engage with this process. And so for those reasons, we decided to focus this review on specifically doctors' attitudes towards this process and also to see if we can capture the perspectives of doctors from a range of different backgrounds, medical specialties, place where they practice, countries that they're from. And so we thought scoping review was the best way to capture all of those perspectives. 
Well, and with all that variability you just described, where you anticipate that these programs are put in place in dramatically different ways in different places and different specialties might have different activities. How did you try to ensure that you were looking at a consistent construct or phenomenon when you chose the articles that you included? Yes, so we realized that there is a lot of variation in terms of how these programs operate in different places, but typically they include a combination of summative and formative elements such as knowledge self-assessments, exams, patient and peer feedback, quality improvement, and of course, participation in continuing professional development activities. And so although there is variability in the programs, we found that actually doctors' opinions were quite similar across jurisdictions. So it worked well for us to combine input from all these various different programs. And they might differ in terms of their operational detail, but at the end of the day, they do aim to achieve the same objective. You focus particularly on... Six of the countries that are fairly dominant in medical education research, the US, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Ireland. Was that constraint forced upon you by anything that you were seeing in the literature? Or was it a result of trying to identify programs like this that were a bit more consistent with one another? Um I think the programs that we chose to include, most of them were well established by the time that we undertook this program. And in some places, we're only starting to develop and implement new programs. We felt like their frameworks that they work within were similar enough for us to include them all together in this review. And also from a practical standpoint, it just made sense because they were all predominantly English-speaking countries. And so their publications were published in English. And so therefore that helped us with the review process as well. And so I'm just going to flag up one of the sentences in your results that struck a particular chord with me, given that it is so consistent with what we see in Canada, at least. We say there was agreement across jurisdictions that maintenance of professional competence is a good idea in theory, but that that it achieves its objectives in practice. Can you say more about what led to that statement about the disconnect and the desires or perceptions of the physicians that were in this literature relative to what they perceived actually be happening? Yes, so that was an interesting finding. And I suppose the good news is that doctors are supportive of the concept of maintenance of professional competence, and they think it's a good idea in theory. However, we did find that doctors have mixed opinions about the activities that they're asked to engage in to meet the objectives of these programs, because many felt that what they were asked to do is not actually helping them to achieve the goal of improving patient care and have an impact impact on their learning and practice. And I think that's where, although, yes, they support the idea, the difficulty lies within what they perceived as being impactful. It's a real issue. I mean, a recurrent theme within the review is there seems to be a disconnect between the program and what doctors feel are relevant to their day-to-day practice. And it's definitely an area that would require some further thinking and development so it would seem to some degree, I suppose, uh, inevitable that if people are being required to go through an education program or an evaluation process or something to that extent, that 
there's so much variability in practice that capturing something that's truly tailored to your particular situation for everybody would be very difficult. But I want to ask you about where you think the responsibility lies for improving upon that situation, both in the sense of what can or should regulators do about that perception of insufficient relevance, but also what do you think our physicians or education programs might need to do to try to encourage the people who are enrolled in the programs to become more engaged? So with the scoping review, it's useful for mapping out, you know, the breadth and depth of knowledge on a topic. But in one way, it only gives you the answers to the what questions. So we understand what doctors' attitudes are and what they're feeling about the process at the moment and what they perceive the impact to be. But it doesn't really explain the reasons behind why they might, for example, say there is a disconnect between the program and what's relevant to them in practice. And that's one of the gaps that we've identified through this process is there's this real need for, you know, well-funded, wide-scale research informed by theory to find some of these answers to the questions still. And maybe that would be one good starting point. But from a more practical and implementation point of view, we talk about this idea of co-construction within the paper, which would help regulators work more closely with doctors within their local environment to see where changes can be made to increase the relevance of the activities they do on a day-to-day basis. And of course, this would require a lot of resources and time to undertake, but would certainly be doable because I feel up until now, these programs had a sort of top-down implementation and we need to start looking at how we can from the bottom up also help include doctors more in the design and implementation of these programs, which would hopefully help resolve this issue of contextualizing the activities that they take part in because, you know, that is definitely one explanation for why we're seeing the results that we've seen in this review is that What works in one context does not work in another, and we need to move closer to the workplace to find out how we could shape those activities to become more relevant. And that leads me to another question that might not be derivable from your data, but given how much you've thought about this, I'm curious as to what your program of research leads you to believe in this sense. But you mentioned lack of time and resources and how complex these things are and the need for some bottom-up accountability and co-construction. What's your answer to the regulators who might say we have a legal obligation to assure quality and therefore it's not about whether or not they perceive the relevance. It's about whether or not they can pass the hurdles that we've decided are important to pass. How do you get beyond that logjam in your impression? I mean, that, that is a very difficult question to answer because it really comes down to what your philosophy is and what your objectives are in terms of what you ask doctors to do. So do you want to assess competence and try to identify underperforming doctors or do you want to support lifelong learning? And the programs that we've included in our review typically lean more towards formative or summative within their approaches and you get different results from both those approaches. I mean, there is a growing body of evidence that demonstrates the impact of these programs on practice and on healthcare. It's still small, but it is growing. More evidence would be helpful so we can actually finally put an end to this debate between, you know, is it regulation or is it about professional development? But we actually don't have that at the moment. So 
we have to work with what we have. And it's not for me to say what regulators should be aiming to do, but I understand that they do have a responsibility to be accountable to the public and to patients. As I say, doctors are supportive of that idea. They understand as well, and they completely support the fact that, you know, there has to be checks and balances in place. And for the medical profession and external overview, it is important. But I think if you take steps to make activities more relevant, that won't take away from that accountability piece, because you'd still attain the same objectives by taking that approach. One thing that it might impact is what regulators accept as evidence. So what doctors can submit as evidence to demonstrate, you know, the fact that they have been participating and engaging in these programs. And that might have to slightly change, be less restrictive. Well, and if at all reassuring, I know that is the tension and there isn't a simple answer, obviously, but what you've just said was one of the reasons I was quite enthralled by this paper is that we've made such a strong distinction in some places between quality improvement and quality assurance without recognizing that quality improvement is a means towards quality assurance. And if the professionals themselves aren't engaged, then we should anticipate that no real effort at improvement is going to take place. So that sort of leads me to my last question then. You've mentioned a couple things that you still need to know in order to decide how to intervene or how to continue developing these processes. Given what you saw in this literature, what do you think is critical for us to know, despite your claim at the beginning that this was the last project in a line of research? It's very clear there's more to be done. Yes, absolutely. And That's why scoping review is so useful because we sort of had two outputs from doing this review. One was sort of, you know, summarizing, you know, information in terms of doctors' attitudes and what motivates them and what their beliefs are around the impact of the process, which is great to have. But we also had a second component to our results, which nicely maps out how research on this topic has been conducted, the research designs used, participants and methods, all of that. So what we found was that the majority of studies were quantitative survey type studies and also a few qualitative studies. But the most striking thing that we've noticed was that a very small minority of these studies were informed or underpinned by theory. And those that were underpinned by theory, the quality was exceptional. And the use of learning theory was almost completely absent within this literature, which we thought was quite incredible, actually, when you think about it. So, I mean, that would be our first recommendation in terms of what's the next step. There are many different avenues that you could pursue, but whatever you do, I would suggest, you know, we should look at incorporating learning theories. And there are many you can pick, for example, you know, professional identity development, workplace learning theory, all of that would really provide us with much better understanding of some of the reasons behind the findings that we had regarding doctors' attitudes, positive or negative, towards this process. That's excellent advice for us to end on. It's very consistent with what you've said in terms of thinking about these last but longest stages of practice and training in that continuum be thought of as educational opportunities as much as or even more than measurement opportunities. So as always, we only skimmed over a lot of the important details of the paper, but I would strongly recommend it to anybody who's listening who's remotely interested in this topic. Those of you who want those details will find them in a paper entitled Doctors' Attitudes to Maintenance of Professional Competence, a scoping review in the April 2022 issue of Medical Education with Anal Visa as the lead author. 
thanks for this work, Ganel, and thanks for taking the time to discuss it with me. I really hope it's not the end of your <laughs> your efforts in this area, because you clearly have a lot to contribute still. So good luck with that. Thank you very much. Thank you.